Well, Karen Kingsbury is finally on the Drew Marshall Show. It's taken 14 years, and I'm so embarrassed, and I apologize to all of our listeners. I just I can't get around to everybody as quickly as I'd like. From number one New York Times bestselling author Karen Kingsbury comes a new book featuring everyone's favorite family, the Baxters. From the day they met, John and Elizabeth were destined to fall in love. Their whirlwind romance started when they were young college students and lasted many years. Journey back to the breathless first moments secret heartbreak and the love that brought john and elizabeth together i'm just getting goosebumps getting goose pimply uh whether you're meeting the uh, baxter family for the first time or finding them all over again love story will touch your heart forever available everywhere june 6th karen kingsbury has been called america's favorite inspirational author there are more than 25 million copies of her award-winning books in print. That's crazy. Including several million copies sold in the past year, Karen's last dozen titles have topped national bestseller charts, and many of her novels are under development as feature films and television movies. In addition, Roma Downey, former Drew Marshall Show guest, and MGM Studios announced that they are developing 22 of Karen's Baxter family novels into a TV series. She lives in Tennessee, where all the real Christians live, uh, with her husband Don and uh, five sons, three of whom are adopted from Haiti. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And she joins us right now. Here's the website, KarenKingsbury.com. Hello, KarenKingsbury.com. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Have fun. I am so sorry it's taken me this long to get around to you. I just, I'm I'm a loser. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Hey, you know, sometimes things are worth waiting for. Nice. Well played. I like it. I like it. I want to know about Papa. Um, Your dad died in 2007, and that song had a little bit of meaning to it, did it not? Well, yeah, because I'm still wiping tears since you started with that, yes. (laughs) Um, It was very special. My dad called us uh, when, I'm going to say probably, gosh, in in the early 90s, my dad made a phone call to us and to each of the members of the family and said, this song is how I feel about you. Have I told you lately that I love you? Whenever you hear it, I just want you to know how much I love you. And it's, it's, it's deep to the core of my soul. This song is, is how I feel. And you know, we'd hear it occasionally, and we'd always smile and think of him. But um, when he had his massive heart attack in 2007, he was in the hospital for six weeks, which was a miracle in itself. We were grateful for those moments. Everything we ever wanted to say, we got to say, and, and we just um, had a beautiful time of prayer with him and day after day. And we brought that song up. So in addition to some hymns that he loved, we also brought up Have I Told You Lately That I Love You, and it was just this most beautiful time together. And after he went home to heaven, we had it engraved on his tombstone. Nice. I mean, have I told you lately that I love you is right there on, on uh, the place where he's buried. And then we began to hear that song at the craziest moments and just, <laughs> you know, we'd hear it. At the, the, we went to, get to take our kids to a play that they were actually in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he would not have missed a single moment. He would never have missed a play. And this was the first one he would miss. And on the way out, you know, after we'd cleaned up and it was all over, a long day, get in the car, turn on the keys. We're not to the edge of the parking lot when have i told you lately that i love you comes on and and i remember the first time it happened tyler our our son was about 12 and he said mom you should turn the channel it's that's too sad and i said you know tyler i'm going to turn it up because i don't get it but i'll take it it just i don't i'm just thankful and just papa loves us it's what we're going to say and it kept happening again and again and then that led up to this crazy moment i mean one time we were in the bahamas we had the whole family 
took a while to get into our room, finally got up, we're on the balcony, looking down, looking all around, so beautiful. And down on the on the patio by the pool, the Bahamian band begins to play. No. Yes. No. I'm looking at my family because, you know, I make things up for a living. <laughs> I <do. laughs> And I'm, like, so thankful that they're out there, too, because we're all like, this is happening. This is crazy. This is really happening. And that kind of led us to this moment where we were in New York City, and um, they invited me to Simon & Schuster's headquarters there on Avenue of the Americas near the Rockefeller Center in downtown New York. And uh, we're having this great meeting, and they're just praising me, saying the books are so great. And it's this pinnacle moment as an author, as a novelist. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, there's only one person who would really, truly just be just so thrilled with this moment. I mean, I was, of course, thankful and happy, but my dad, he would have been through the roof excited. Uh, so then the president of the company pulls me aside as the meeting ends, and she goes, I don't know if you've ever been down to High Line Park. It's this beautiful railway built up on um, yeah. an old railway. It's a park. I, I was just there last week. Okay, yeah, and you can walk along Hudson Rivers there, and she said, "Gotta go check it out." Wasn't our plan, but um, as I went down into the lobby, there was a security guard, and he recognized my face because my books were filling up the lobby that day because I was their special guest author. And he said, "Hey, that's you," and you know, I said, "Yeah," and he kind of just gave me this proud look, and he said, "Well, you made it. Look at that." And I thought again, you know, uh, if I could just pick up the phone and call my dad, like this would have been that moment for sure. And um, so we got in the cab with my daughter and son-in-law. They were waiting outside in the cab, told them about the Highline Park idea, and told them I was missing Papa. They kind of held my hand. We had a moment, and we went down to Highline. Took us a moment, and we finally walk up, and we're um, just remarking over how beautiful it is and the Hudson River and the, the landscaping, and we're taking some pictures. We're trying to do a selfie, but we had a real camera. Um, real cameras, you know, they make it a little bit harder to take a selfie. So this man and this woman are walking by, and the man says, well, I'll take it for you. I said, okay, great, thank you. So, he, you know, Kelsey shows him how to use the camera. He takes the picture. He looks at it for a minute. He says, wow, this is so lovely. And then he hands the camera back, and he and the woman walk on. And Kelsey says, Mom, do you know who that was? That was Rod Stewart. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's just like a hipster guy from New York. So, no, it was Ross Stewart. So she explains that he said, oh, I'm usually on the other side of the camera, but this is fun, you know. So I take off after him. I don't want to look crazy, but I'm like running kind of toward him. And, right, because that, that doesn't look crazy at all. No, that doesn't look crazy at all. Yeah. I think he thought I was having an episode. I mean, because he, he felt he had like a sort of sorry look, so he turned around and <laughs> kind of confused. Like, what, what's going on? I said, you took our picture. And he said, yes, and uh, I'm catching up now. And, I mean, he kind of puts his hand on my arm, and I did the same. We're looking eye to eye. And he said, uh, so, I, I, yeah, that's the picture okay? And I said, but, sir, are you, are you Rod Stewart? And he kind of hesitates. He said, yes, I am. I'm in town doing my book tour. And so I don't tell him I'm an author or anything else. I just say, well, can I tell you about my dad? <laughs> and then he just, like, listens, and he gets tears in his eyes. He puts his hands together and kind of holds them up to heaven, like, praying kind of hands up to heaven and looks at me again. He says, you will never know how much that meant to me to hear that today. I needed to hear that story. And then Rod Stewart, on the day I'm missing my dad, says, can I give you a hug? (laughs) There we are, me and Rod Stewart in New York City (laughs) on my line and sharing this beautiful hug. And and I'm just like, okay, you have to be looking for the miraculous in life, because God is doing things around us that we just don't even, we can't even imagine. There, there are no odds of that happening. 
on that day no. at that time or, or ever. Yeah. Um, but that's just, I think that's just how much God loves us and wants us to know that the people we miss and love are okay. Well, that's all the time we have with Karen Kingsbury. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me to tell a story now. <laughs> no, I knew that was gold, and I, I wanted to start off with that. I love it very much. Um, did your kids, your whole family called your dad Papa, right? Everybody called him Papa? They did. Okay. Um, interesting how a friend of mine wrote a book called The Shack, and in it is a, the word Papa. And uh, also interesting in that your first book was called Missy's Murder, and that's the character in the book called The Shack. I just want to know um, how well you know Paul Young. Has he been stealing your material long? <laughs> I do know Paul. We have, we've met at a few different things, sat together for a, you know, <laughs> writers' dinners and things like that, and he's great. I and mean, yeah. what a heart. And, uh, wow, just the impact even lately that that movie has made on, on people that I know. I mean, I've had conversations with friends that are strong believers and and yet you know just had layers of hurt and troubles and things that had happened and that just it's an it's a it's an amazing work yeah well i want to do something i've never done with a guest and this could fail or this could go quite well um and the reason i'm doing this is i this is me being authentic so i this is what i've come up with recently the definition of being authentic is when you can admit when you've been inauthentic and so I just really have to say that I, you know, that set up with you, and I mean, I read the promo and got told everybody who you, I have not read a single one of your books. I don't, I can't, just, ugh, the romance thing and the love stories and the fiction and the, oh, just, I'm sorry, Karen, please don't hate me. I won't, but I'm going to give you a challenge. Uh-oh. Yeah, because we have friends who are on the SWAT team. I mean, big, you know, tough guys that wear black jackets to work, and they will read the book. So here we are, we're on vacation with one of these such guys, John Chapman, and he's a, a big FBI guy, and he was reading my book one Tuesday morning. We were on vacation together, and he went down and kind of disappeared in the morning. It was early, and then about 8 o'clock, he comes up, and his eyes are all red. <laughs> and he said, oh, the allergies today. <laughs> <laughs> but I finished the book. <laughs> and... Um, so my challenge for you will be, I'm going to say one Tuesday morning is like where I always challenge the guys to start, read one chapter, and if you can put it down, do. Put it down, because you shouldn't be reading it if you can put it down after one chapter. <sighs> <laughs> you know, it's about a firefighter and a business guy with this uncanny resemblance and so it's a real guy's guy book. Okay. It's, a, it's a guy's book. All right. like. Well, I was told quite directly that I need to be reading. I was. I spent a, um, a couple of days last week with uh, Kathy Lee, and uh, she, of course, is a big fan of yours. Mm. And um, she, yes. she um, yeah, that's basically how I figured out I really should be asking you to come on the shows. Because, look, anytime Kathy Lee tells me to get someone on a show, I do it because I'm scared of her. Okay? <laughs> oh, she has a way. Yes, yeah, she, she does have a way. Um, okay, so what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read your bio because there's so many interesting things in your bio. This could be so boring, and I might just throw it out in a minute, but I don't, I, I, I just want to do it. Okay, you ready? Here we go. So you're born in Fairfax, Virginia, oldest of Anne and Ted Kingsbury's five children, hooked on Dr. Zeus from the very first time your dad read you The Grinch You Stole Christmas. Me too! Except that I wasn't, I wasn't hooked on reading. I was just hooked on The Grinch, right? So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you memorized the thing by the time you are five. It's pretty amazing. You moved often because of your dad's computer program job with IBM. Maybe it was the moving that truly under my, underlined my love for reading in books. I found friends I never uh, had to leave. So moving around a lot meant that 
you were relationship challenged? Like, did you, are you sensitive to rejection? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely I had to, you had to find something inside. I think I learned a lesson, and that is that your best friends are the ones around the dinner table, for one thing. Right. And then we got to tell our kids that as we ended up with our six kids. It's like, look around, because these are the ones that aren't going to leave. Um, and there was a good thing about that, you know. But, I, I mean, as the years went on, somehow I went from that shy, you know, child that wanted to read and write and only read and write to extremely extroverted, and that puts me in a really weird category as a novelist because most of us just kind of are lost in our stories, and we don't really feel comfortable talking. But I'm, I'm like, I love real people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I spoke at a writers' conference one time, and the the thing in my uh, my uh, title of my message was, "Sure, you can write, but can you handle an interview?" Because there are so many people who are really good writers, and they should never do interviews. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they're like, and then in Chapter 6, yeah, I mean, that just doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you are not one of those, that's for sure. When I was 10 years old, we left Michigan for California, where we stayed for the next two decades. Thank God you got out of Michigan. I love Southern California back then, and I grew up in San Fernando Valley. You are a true Valley girl, like totally? True. Like, tr- like oh, my gosh, like, gag me with a spoon. Gag yes, me with, with that girl. <laughs> with, the, with the permed hair. No. Yes, I had that permed hair. Did okay. you ever? Did you ever use a crimping iron? I don't think we did the crimp. I did like the full perm. Like oh I had wow! The perm, and then I had the headband when I worked out. You know, Olivia Newton John. Oh yeah. Thing, you know. Yeah, tough story with her these days. The, her cancer is back. She's had to cancel her tour. So I uh, hear that. That's yeah, sad. It's a bummer. My heart overflowed with stories. So were you a nerd? I mean, I think so. I look back and I'm like, okay, I hung out with the cheerleaders and I was kind of like that. I was in that fun crowd, but I was on the fringe because I definitely, everything I saw, every conversation I had, I'd be like, okay, there's a story. There's definitely a story there. Right. (laughs) That wasn't normal. (laughs) But the practical side of writing uh, looked like journalism, which I studied through high school and college. There was a point in my freshman year at uh, Pierce College where I actually decided I was sick of writing. I would be a lawyer, a prosecutor. A prosecutor, you must have... The most amazing imagination. I read an article in HuffPost that says there's a correlation between how well someone has developed their imagination and and whether they are prayers or not. And since I suck at praying, I guess that means I don't have a very good imagination. What do you think? I think you have a pretty good imagination listening to you right now. But, I mean, yeah, there may be a correlation there. I think that's that's interesting. You're, this is like I feel like I'm in a session, so this is good. Keep going. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, that year I took an English class, and three weeks into the semester, Professor Bob Scheimel, Scheimel, who got beat up a lot as a kid, ordered me to the front of the room. Bob was a surly old journalist with a lifetime of experience. He ran the school newspaper. He pointed at me real sharp like it said, Are you Karen Kingsbury? I fell to my knees. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm imagining that's how you said it. Yes, sir. That's very pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Um, two things. He looked over his glasses at the end of my nose. First, you will never stop writing. And second, you're on staff. This sounds like J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man. I mean, right? Like, this This is a scene. I mean, this is a scene that I feel like should be in some movie. I don't yes. know how to write it, I guess. But, yeah. Because, it. I mean, in that moment, I was like, oh, okay. I guess I'm going to turn back around and be a writer. I mean, it was... Literally the most impactful moment of my all of my schooling years, and it happened in just a minute. Cal State University, Northridge, degree in journalism in 86. Uh, immediately started work as a sports writer. That must have just right. sucked the soul out of you. I'll tell you. 
I was not. I mean, there's some humor there because, like, honestly, I was not the girl to go in and do sports. I didn't know a touchdown from an end zone. From a red, <laughs> I didn't know anything. But I, I think that they were like, okay, we've got 20 guy interns. And well, we better get a, we better get a girl in here somewhere. And I personally would really think that they should have hired another guy who knew what he was doing. That's just my thought. But okay, hey, if you're going to hire me, I'll take it. Nice. And it was my dear dad who took me to football games, and, like, he would sit in the audience, the stands, in the audience, he would sit in the stands, and he would write notes, write down play-by-play what had happened. I would be out on the field pretending, I mean, on the sidelines, and then we would head back to the L.A. Times office. I mean, I'm working with the L.A. Times, and my dad would tell me what had happened. And then I would figure it out. And be like, okay, I mean, I was a quick study, and I watched Saturday football games with him and Sunday football games, and I had to learn how to hold my own because I, and of course, on top of that, I had no trivia. Don't ask me who won the last Super Bowl. I mean, I was just completely, the only thing I could do in that department was I could write. And so that got me through somehow. Man. Okay, so covered, uh, let's see, hold on there, uh, covered high school sports initially, quickly began seeing bigger stories, deeper stories, and I earned a reputation. If a story needed tears, my editors would give it to me. You could write uh, messages for Pentecostal pastors. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey, if the day job thing doesn't work out, I'm going to follow you that up. do that, yeah. About that time, I met the love of my life, the guy from the Beach Boys, apparently. Blue-eyed California boy named Don, a guy with one driving passion. Okay, this is the guy. Hold on, I'm going to summarize this. This dude brings his Bible to the first date. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's what I was like. Okay, you're, we want to read about what? Philippians? Like, I don't know a Philippian yeah. from any Ippian. I don't know what that is. Yeah. So it was just, I was not discerning. He, I did not want to hear it. But he was hot. He was hot, though, right? He was. He was not. I couldn't deny it. Yeah. What did they call that? Flirt and convert, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I was in that program, but I didn't know it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Three months pass, you guys are still going out, uh, and then finally he's still shoving the Bible in your face, and you grab it, throw it down, and it breaks. You broke a Bible. Dude, you can't get out of hell for that. That's You're I done. Know. I know. I thought the earth was going to open up. I thought for sure there'd be a down staircase <laughs> and like a kind of a dark light that would kind of shine on me somehow, kind of an ominous, maybe purplish light, yeah. and I would be the first one down the staircase. Yeah, had to be. Like a scene from Ghostbusters. Oh, Definitely. Um, anyway, he picked it up and gave you the uh, hurt puppy look, I'm sure, and uh, and then eventually you married him, right? Just cut to the chase here. I did, yeah. Well, I went to my first Christian bookstore, which I'd never been. I always drove by and thought it was weird, and uh, got a Bible and a concordance, and I was going to look up all the things I thought should be in the Bible, my own personal views, and they weren't there, and I could feel God, you know, hear him saying, okay, so fall away with all that man-made stuff or grab onto me and don't let go, and... I grabbed on. And you got married on a day that was really hot. You lived in a rented $100 a month garage uh, apartment with no air conditioning or heat. That is horrible. Were were you in Compton? That's ridiculous. It was. It was a bunker. It was a Cold War bunker. (laughs) People literally thought back in the day when you thought, if it doesn't have windows, then surely it can withstand a nuclear war. That's what they built in their backyard. It was just a little one. It wasn't even even really a garage. I mean, it was a bunker. And we lived in that thing. And then you prayed that you would you could write and make money, and God eventually made that happen. The end. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like just pray. Yeah, we were like, okay, we you know I want I don't want to work in an office when we start having kids, and God connected all those dots. And uh, people say, how did you become a, an author? And it's like, well, I mean, it's nothing about it. it's conventional. Yeah. Can I, I? Can I? There's two things I have to admit here. One, I don't want to keep going through your bio. Two. Um. <laughs> Does something, is there something wrong with you? (laughs) 
let me let me maybe we are getting down to the root of that now actually. I want, hold on let me let me fix that question i'm not the best with compliments i when i hugged kathy lee in her house i said wow did you used to be bigger it didn't come out that well but, um uh what was i saying oh so as a fiction writer i think there's something weird about fiction writers but mm-hmm. then as a fiction love story writer, love, you know, romance novel or whatever, you better be the best stinking wife in the world. Well, my husband's here. I can put him on, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think so. I would like to think that I've got that, you know, that I, I do love it. And, you know, I, it's funny. My books do have love stories in them often, but they're not traditional romance. Like the traditional romance is too shallow for me. You know, it's just right. not the deep enough story for me but that's because i think you know i look at things and i don't just see that top layer i like go down 12 layers and see it there so i guess in some ways that might make me the worst possible wife too i'm not sure (laughs) no 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 not at all um no i just there's i don't know if i stayed in in story as long as you do you know, just creating characters and imagining and just living in that whole kind of fantasy world of of somebody's life that isn't a real life. Um, I wonder if there'd be blurred lines ever, right? If all of a sudden you're spending so long in whatever story you're writing and, and your husband, you know, finally says to you, look, this is, you know, you're living in, this, in the book you're writing right now. Pull, pull your head out of your backside and let's start living real life. Does he ever do that? I mean- Oh my goodness! Like you are, you have a camera on us because that is what happens. It's just so <laughs> real. I'll come back. I'll be sitting there. I'll finish the scene. Somebody dies in the in the book, and I'm crying. And I put the computer down. I'm having a moment. Like I had to lose this character. So sad. My husband comes running. In. This really happened. This really did happen. He comes running into the into the bedroom where I was writing. He's getting a sweatshirt. He's all happy, and he sees me, and I'm just crying. And he says, "Honey, my goodness, what's wrong?" And I say, "Oh, the Marvel died." I'm like just losing it. I mean, this dear, sweet old woman, and who was a minor character, but she was, you know, I loved her, and she was like a grandmother to me. <laughs> it's all so weird, and and I'm crying, and I said, I, you know, Ervil died, and and he says, Oh no, Ervil, do we know her from church or from school? You know, you know, look at him, I go, Honey, she's one of my characters. Wow, looks me like that piercing the, you know, my eyes look, and yeah. he rolls his eyes all the way to the ceiling. He goes, honey, how can I feel sorry for you? I mean, you killed her. (laughs) Yep. Well said. (laughs) That's true. And then he does think I'm going to make a very interesting old lady one day when I can't tell the kids from the characters, you know, with all the six kids and 600 characters. I'll say, that Ashley, she never calls her right. They just don't don't understand it. (laughs) I can totally see. We laugh a lot. We laugh a lot at my craziness. Totally see that happening. Too funny. Too funny. Well, listen, I know people that I respect, and they tell me that your stuff is some of the, honestly, I'm not just saying this because I'm supposed to say this in an interview. Because I've already admitted I haven't read your book, so I'm sorry, I'm a loser. But we have the challenge on the. Yeah, that's right. I know I got the challenge. All right, uh, there are people that I know that that are voracious readers, and they just absolutely uh, really appreciate your work. And it's about they've said to me it's the way you develop characters, and uh, and the and the story and the authenticity behind it all. It's a very oh someone told me it's not cheesy, so there you go. There's a third hand compliment. That might actually be one of my favorite compliments. Right there. There you oh. go. It's, it's a lot better than you used to be bigger. <laughs> right. Although I think it'd be worse if it was, you know, you used to be smaller. Could be worse. Yeah. I've said something like that, too. I said, you know, for a big, you know, for a big girl, you don't sweat much. That was my compliment. 
year. <laughs> You're gonna have to have your own story. That's what it is. We're gonna have to have the you know biography and the autobiography. Put them together. <laughs> you are so much fun, Karen Kingsbury, and uh, and I I want everybody to go to your website, KarenKingsbury.com. Buy the books. Follow this lady if you're looking for non-trashy, really well-written, no-cheese uh, <laughs> fiction. This is the lady to follow and and, uh, and buy her stuff. Thank you so much for all that time you just gave us. Well, thank you. We'll do this again. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, Karen. Bye. Bye-bye. Karen Kingsbury, number one New York Times bestselling author. And, of course, this latest book is called Love Story. You have to say it like that. Love Story.